the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. It's painful for me to say this. When I was 18 years old, I did not have dreams of getting into wealth management. I did not have dreams of, of working in wealth creation. Oftentimes I say CFP Chad Burton is a wealth manager and I'm a wealth creator. We kind of found each other. I think I was a financial influencer on YouTube. I think I was a financial influencer on radio long before anyone knew the term financial influencer. Um, Just a general talk show, general advice on how to save money. I think in hindsight, I'm pretty proud of what I've done. And honestly, when it's time to quit or retire, I'm ready. Pass the torch. There's a young woman right now named Katie, and she's got a podcast app. She's got this whole world ahead of her, and her podcast is Money with Katie, and she does a damn good job. And I've never met her. I've never crossed her. I've, I've just seen her work, and there will be a time when the torch is passed to people like her, and I'm proud that shows like this kind of led the path. Um, Jim Cramer's Mad Money will be replaced. Susie Orman, she should never have been in the industry in the first place. She's awful at what she does, in my opinion. Awful. Kramer, he started off a little too aggressive, tried to turn you into a hedgy. And what he should have done was get you into being a long-term accumulator. But I think he's fixed his ways. He's old, though. Tough to relate to us old white guys. And I say that only because in the industry, I look around, I see a lot of old white guys. And I'm not going to turn this into a thing on color, but it would be nice if we had more people represented in our industry. One of the more interesting people I've ever worked with in my life was a guy known as the Financial Avenger. Like, why are you calling yourself the Financial Avenger? You're a cartoon. He's like, yeah, we created a comic. I'm like, okay. And what's your goal? And his whole shtick was he was an HIV positive gay man who wanted his money managed in the industry by someone who was potentially a gay man and potentially had exposure to HIV so that he knew the ramifications of what his client was going through. It didn't exist. So he started it. I think that's incredible. I'm a man. I will never be a woman. I'm not talking gender pronouns or anything like that. I will never understand what it's like to be a woman in marriage and have a fear of financial security taken away from you during divorce. So when I talk to women about their financial scenarios, one of the things that come up instantly is, are you going to get married? You know, Do you have a plan in case you get divorced? Um, who's going to get the house? Who's going to get the kids? Things like that. It's a, it's a tough conversation. And CFP Chad Burton has people on his staff, as does Stephanie Richmond, Hedy P. Wealth, who specialize in divorce. And typically, I kind of want to see a woman 
specialized in divorce financial planning because I think that the women are the ones who are oftentimes not always, but in the past, oftentimes more susceptible to poverty in retirement than men. My mom outlived my dad by 20 years. It's not uncommon for men to marry younger and for women to outlive men historically. So I think financial planning is much more of a woman's issue than a man's issue. And that is a widely broad and generic statement, and I don't want it to be. But that's sometimes what I perceive. So I'll never have compassion or empathy. I just don't have it in me. Um, you would probably compare my mind to one of the greatest robotic minds of all time because I'm just not emotional. And he'd pull a James T. Kirk and go, damn it, Spock, I'll break you. I did really, really well in logic in college to the point that my college professor was stunned. He said, I've never seen a student like this. I really, really get logic theories really smoothly. So anyway, um, one of the things I wanted to talk about this segment is home flipping. And I started the segment by saying, I'm going to be embarrassed by what I say because I didn't see myself getting into this industry. At 18, I started questioning, how can I make a side hustle so they don't have to work with for the man? I had worked for AT&T at that point. I had gotten in the corporate culture, the uh, horrible meetings in the staff room, the let's go beat the mules uh, and get as much productivity out of them as we could. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. I want to start my own business. So when you're 18, you, you talk to your friends. And one of the best things you can do if you're 18 years old right now is start an investment club. And it could be... You listen to Money with Katie for a week. You listen to Rob Black and your money for a week. I'm going to read newspapers for a week and someone else. And then let's go talk about what we learned. I think that's cool. But one of the industries I looked at, um, because I had friends who tried to recruit me into it, was multi-level marketing and selling stuff like soaps or internet connections to friends and family. And I was like, nope. I see, I see this for what it is, a $795 buy into the franchise so you can then resell to your friends and they get 1% and you get 1% and the company gets 1%. I'm like, wait, wait, this isn't going to add up. So I didn't want to sell makeup. I didn't want to sell internet services. I didn't want to sell phone services. If you change your phone service to, I just saw myself annoying my friends. Then came along the flipping houses. And you see it on the cable TV channels and you go, I could do that. Sounds like fun to make $200,000 for buying a house, throwing on some paint, some new carpet. I've never installed carpet, but I can figure it out. I'm sure there's a YouTube channel on how to do it. I'll cut the middleman out. I'll do it myself and I'll, I'll make big money flipping houses. If it were easy, I would have done it. Missed out on a possible dream home. Don't worry. You just have to wait for another one to hit the market down the road, right? You're going to have to pay a higher price. I had a concept like last night I had a panic attack. Not full on panic because I'm not emotional, but it would have left most people in a panic attack. I was like, should I never sell any more real estate so my kids have somewhere to live in the future? I have a serious thought that we need to go through like a 20-year market of down in housing if we're going to let our kids who are under 30 years old, buy a home with their salaries. 
because the two just aren't matching up. When you look at salaries and you look at prices of homes, get this though, roughly 10% of US home purchases in the first quarter of 2022 were tied towards a flip. The practice of buying and selling a home within a year, most often after renovations, marking the highest level since 2000. That's pretty fascinating. Because when you start thinking about the, the numbers, we're starting to get dangerously close to where people were buying flips and then the market crashed. I think home buying is a story best told in numbers. Gather around the fire, children. Through the first quarter of the year, 9.6% of home resale transactions, roughly 114,000 single-family homes or condos, were a flip. That's about double the nearly 5% rate from the same period last year. So it's gaining momentum. Flipping has been rising for five straight quarters as people are trying to get the last out of this bull market squeeze. Nearly 19% of all homes in Phoenix were flips. Charlotte, 18% of homes in last year. Tucson, 16.2%. Atlanta, 16.2%. Jacksonville, 16%. And then you get some metro areas like Olympia, Washington, that's just 4.4% of homes. Like there's just not enough buyers to make flipping a possibility. The median price on a flipped house in the first quarter of 2022 was 327000 That's a big payday over the median investor purchase price of 260000 So you can do the math there and figure out almost $70,000 in under a year of profit. But the market is cooling right now. Profit margins for flippers fell in the first quarter in nearly three quarters of analyzed metro areas. Whether a bubble is popping or not, the percentage of homes bought that were a flip in the last 52 weeks stands at roughly 9.6% at its peak in 2005, right before a housing correction in 2006, 7, and 8. It was at 8.2%. So we are doing more now. And back in 2005, we were putting money into Vegas, Phoenix, and parts of Florida. Now we're putting money into Charlotte, Tucson, Atlanta. You get the idea of Phoenix and Vegas. Markets that don't necessarily have the attractive features of high-paying jobs or great universities. When you take a look at the Bay Area, you see Stanford and Berkeley. You can say what you want about the, co- the colleges. They're really tough to get into, and they've got some of the best professors in the world. One minute. And then you get a job market that Facebook and Apple and Microsoft can just look down 101 and say, okay, do we want engineers from Berkeley across the Bay Bridge or do we want engineers from Stanford? Down 101. So not only is the job market great, but the weather's great and the food and restaurant infrastructure of what younger people want is great. Now the high cost of living, not so great. But we're kind of interesting on the whole flip area, aren't we? When you were 20 years old, what was your path to riches? Were you going to marry well? I had a friend who wanted to marry well so she can go out and get leftovers. Every night, that was her dream. We're all very funny in our 20s, no? Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. A straightforward approach to managing your money. 
the Rob Black Show. So I mentioned a podcaster that I think is doing a really nice job. I kind of want to coach her, but I kind of don't. It's her gig. I've never even met her. Um, her name is Katie, and she does a podcast called Money with Katie. If everyone could get their 15 to 25-year-old kid to listen to her, I think it'd be great. Um, some When I say I want to coach her, because sometimes she'll do like Instagram posts where she does the, do you want to have a million dollars? And then she walks out of screen and she comes back with a cup of coffee and she, she'll go, no, 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 on the Starbucks. And she'll walk off screen and come back with a million dollars in her hands. And you're like, oh, I get it. I get it. That's a TikTok thing. Like, um, but I hate those. They're too, they're, they're too, they're all the same thing now. Uh, woman taking off makeup. And you're like, Ooh, she looks different. Woman put on makeup. And you're like, Ooh, she looks different. <laughs> I think the storytelling needs to be reinvented from, you know, uh, freeze the camera to start the camera with a different scenario is, uh, is not a great storyteller. Anyhow, money with Katie. Um, rarely do I go off and say, I think this makes a lot of sense for people under 25, but I think it makes a lot of sense for people under 25. On occasion, I do shows dedicated to your twenties on your thirties and your forties. I do shows dedicated to women and investing. Um, she does this every day for people under 25 and thing I would help change her with her is just to try to like, don't rely on gimmicks, develop your own storytelling. Just my opinion, because I think she's all that in a bucket of chicken. Um, so there you go. You're welcome. Uh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. On occasion, I see a story that just makes me cringe that I want to pass on to you. There's a company called Cerebral, and documents are showing that the company, it's a venture capital started mental health startup. And I think we all know during the pandemic, we were locked up. We weren't able to see our marriage counselors. We weren't able to see our therapists. I've done so much therapy in my life. I think it's one of the best things I've ever invested in my own mental health. I had a dad who was kind of a jerk alcoholic. He wasn't the TV alcoholic where he'd um, you know, hit the kids when he was drunk. He'd just get drunk and pass out. And you can tell he could got drunk because he drank slowly and what he was was he just wasn't there for his kids so i've got four brothers who i call my forefathers and then my biological father um i bring this up because from having a kind of a neglected childhood and you know i wasn't beat i had everything i ever wanted there just wasn't a connection with my father which i think is important in hindsight but anyway i did a lot of therapy so there's a company called cerebral who's you get the idea. Um, mental health app trying to get you access to clinical standard research, clinical standard diagnoses, clinical standards, um, approaches to depression. But mental health is a complex issue, such as bipolar disorder. And what we're learning about this startup is that they were too aggressive with their healthcare approaches. And they might've messed up a lot of people with improper medication. Document shows cerebral operated in a flagrant disregard of clinical standards. It took on patients who didn't have the resources to treat, sometimes putting them in danger of killing themselves. 
In some cases, patients with complex conditions such as bipolar disorder were assigned to clinicians who lacked sufficient training. Some clinicians were told that they were afraid that they would lose their licenses. Medical providers prescribed potentially lethal combinations of drug or prescribed addictive drugs to patients with histories of addiction. One source said family nurse practitioners threw antipsychotics around like they were candy. But these drugs are very serious medications that have very serious side effects. I bring this up because it's a story from the pandemic that makes a lot of sense. We're not going to see our doctors. We might as well do it online through a telehealth app. Except for sometimes it isn't a good idea. And this app is never going to see the light of day. This app is going to be shut down. This breakthrough for the medical community is never going to see fruition. What was a good idea that should have been approached intelligently and succinctly and precisely got rushed. Why do I do that? Because it's a great story. And sometimes the best thing you can do is walk away from great stories. Amazon is limiting plan B purchases following the reversal of Roe versus Wade. Amazon will only let customers buy three units of the emergency contraceptive pills per week, making it the latest retailer to curtail purchases of medication. What's interesting about that, let's not even get into Roe versus Wade. Let's get into Amazon sells medications. I believe that in my lifetime, and let's say in my lifetime is 10 years. <laughs> I believe that in my lifetime, Amazon is going to become the biggest prescription delivery business on the planet. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense. When we get older, we're not as good at driving. When we get older, going to the store is an adventure. Maybe it'll keep us alive by keeping us mobile. But maybe it'll kill uh, someone on the street as we run them over and don't even pay attention. Oh, did I hit something, Lucy? And no, my partner's name is not Lucy. So where do I go with this? Um, Amazon's going to be big. And the ability to do Amazon Prime into your home. If you look at Amazon's Prime, Amazon stock during a down market, you're like, this is horrible. And it is. And it shows you that retail is really struggling. But what they can do in the future with their infrastructure should be quite amazing. Anyhow, and anyway, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You can always find me online at Rob Black's show. CFP Chad Burton has a podcast he's going to update later this week, I believe. You can find his podcast online under New Focus on Wealth with CFP Chad Burton. It's New Focus on Wealth. So you go to Apple or Google uh, podcast stores, and you'll find it free of charge there. You can find me at Rob Black's show online. There's similar Apple and Google music play locations on your phone. Spread the word, people. Um, there's some good stuff out there. CFP Chad Burton's got wealth casting. I've got wealth creation. Money with Katie's all pretty good for young people. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing. An education first approach to managing your money. This is the Rob Black Show. So on the podcast, you can't hear this song, but on the radio broadcast, you can hear Boy With Uke playing the song Toxic. Um, my kids like the songs. He seems to be a catchy songwriter who plays a uke not well in his own words. He wears a digital mask, kind of like a horror movie where you never get to see his face for obvious reasons. You don't know what is it. He's well-marketed. Um, 
check him out if you get a chance. The reason I bring him up is my kids started asking because we just recently saw him play. Uh, why does he wear a mask? And I said, the sad truth is I bet he's not Caucasian. I bet he's got color on his skin that they're trying to market through hiding versus revealing. So I like American Idol, many of the contestants were white for the longest period of time. And then there's pressure of like, uh, we have a kind of bad track record of new diversity. And I don't know if I'm right on Boy With You or not, but it just shows you our society is not where we should be. Um, I'm hoping he's Hawaiian because ukuleles and Hawaii kind of go together. And I'm digging his music, so I hope he eventually takes his mask off and tells us a little bit more about his life. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Let's talk about what we're seeing on Wall Street. Americans have opened a record number of credit cards. This is a big story. Um, When the markets aren't cooperating and hitting all-time highs for us, we need to patch our leaks in our portfolios. And one of the areas where you can patch is look at your credit cards. Revolving credit in the United States increased by 19.6% from the previous years. Americans are grappling with inflation and returning to credit cards. This typically ends poorly, except for it doesn't. Whoa. Uh, We're going to spend on credit and we're going to spend our cash, our savings. We know that we had something like $3 trillion. Let me see if I can't pull it up. $3 $3 trillion in extra savings may push Fed rate hikes too far. Americans are sitting on $815 billion worth of savings. In April, this may be good news for consumers individually, but bad news for the Federal Reserve, who is trying to get cash out of the system and not put back into the system. So households are flush with cash at this point in time. The highest number of individuals were flying this weekend. We're spending money. When we fly, we spend money. It's a, a, a tale that doesn't lie. So this weekend, we're going to see record traffic out of TSA. And when you hear that in your head, you should go economic alarm going off. This is going to be inflationary. As people not fight, but people wait for restaurant reservations. As restaurants go, you know what? We're paying more for our natural gas. We're going to raise prices. And we're paying more for the dishwasher. So we're going to raise prices. Headline consumer inflation is at 8.6%, but I want to go back to what we're seeing with credit. I love that our savings are great, and it's going to be a long, prosperous recovery from the pandemic. But I am starting to see credit card issues again that are like flag, flag, flag. And what's interesting, and I said, it, banks issue credit cards knowing that you're going to fail. There's very rarely an event that causes twice as many failures or three times as many failures or more failures than expected mathematically. It is a very math-driven industry. Um, I haven't missed a payment. I looked at my credit history yesterday. And it's kind of, because I look at my credit history, I pull three credit reports a year. And there's been more suspicious things on my credit report in the last two years than there have been in the last 20 previous to that. Uh, this buy now, pay later crap is dinging me because people are using my name and my phone number or something. They're not even using my credit. They're not even using my social security number to open up things. And then I get a call like, do you want to extend the warranty on that? Do you want to send a payment in now? I'm like, what? I didn't buy a Mac. But credit card openings, Americans received 11.5 million new credit card 
through February of 2022. It's a 31% increase from the previous year. Credit limits saw a 59% increase from the previous year. Total credit now stands at, total credit limits stands at 4.1 trillion. So we have a lot of money on plastic that we could spend. And we are. Household debt at the end of the quarter increased by 266 billion, standing at 15.8 trillion. That's 1.7 trillion higher than the end of 2019. These are staggering numbers. Mortgages are by far the largest part of household debt, coming in at about 71% weighting. Number two of debts that are staggeringly high, student loan debts, standing at 1.59 trillion. The student loan debate, and this is where sometimes your head just blows up. I can't get into it. Um, I'm out of the system. I've been 20 years out of the system. I paid off my student loans. I'm out. I'm clear. I'm good. But people are talking about, oh, we should give forgive student loans. But how about the kids who were too poor to go and take on student loans? Should we give them subsidies and say you didn't go to college and get a degree that costs way too much money? So we're going to give you cash because you didn't make a fool of the system and you didn't have to borrow money from us. You didn't have to be uh, forgiven debt. That's why it, it just freaks me out is how many Americans have been excluded from college because of college costs, not how many people went to college and got a kind of a bogus education or a lackluster education. Now, and then there's a third type of education, like kind of like there's fraud educations where some of these online universities promises you jobs and promises you real education. You're not getting it. And those are give, are easily forgiven by the government as you are manipulated. But with student loan debt, I, I still can't get my head around the kids who never were able to afford to go to college. And I know them. I know many of them. That their parents just never saved for college. And then college came around. I've, I've, uh, I've talked about her on air. And she's the girl who took government money and started investing last year. And She's like, I'm like you. I'm like, you're not like me. And then I kind of reamed her on the uh, 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 the air the following day. And she heard. And I'm like, I, you weren't supposed to hear that. But I was like, she's a lovely person. She's a lovely mom, but she's not a great investor. She thinks she's a great investor. One week does not make a great investor. But I am seeing her raise her daughter, who's now a freshman in high school. And I asked her like, seven years ago when she was asking for financial planning tips, I'm like, you're going to send your daughter to college. She's the uh, baby daddy in the picture out of the picture for college costs. And she goes completely out. And she goes, I have no plan on sending my daughter to college. I'm like, wow. That was the first person in my circle that ever said that out loud. So clearly I'm hanging out with affluent people, right? She was the first person to say, nope, didn't save enough for me, didn't save enough for her. She's not going to college. Like, you know, there's loans and things like that. And she's just dead set on it. So mortgage debt is our biggest debt, 71% of our household debt. Student loan is our second biggest debt. Um, Mortgage debt is staggering when you take a look at it. Coming in at household debt of $15.8 trillion. Wow. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Find me, refer a friend to me. Coming up, we're going to be talking market updates. 
Briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com. Invest in what is really important. Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. Are you concerned with financial planning, tax planning, managing your investments, or just planning your retirement? Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP has your financial future in mind. Learn more by visiting robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. So Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, I start my day typically by 6 a.m. reading the market update that Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com throws down. I save myself from reading it on Wednesdays until I get to talk to him on air at 7.30 Pacific Standard Time. Patrick O'Hare is with briefing.com. He writes for a professional service, briefing.com, which offers insights into global and domestic companies and how economies are doing. I think it's one of the best pieces of research I've used through the years. It's never felt like a sales pitch or kind of a Wall Street polished product. Um, it just feels like good insights. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. I'm doing fine. Thanks. Good to be back with you. Another week. Um, consumer confidence was a big story yesterday, and I see that leads off your um, your morning page one today. Mm-hmm. Page one, a wait-and-see mentality. We're not getting instant gratification, are we, right now? What are you seeing out there? No, we're not. Um, and what was striking, really, to me about uh, that report was was the stock market's reaction to it. Frankly, um, I think the you know market participants knew going into it. Certainly, based on what we heard from the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, which is at a record low, that you know confidence was already being shaken, uh, and that inflation expectations you know remained elevated. Uh, there was a little bit of relief on the inflation expectation side in that Michigan Sentiment report, but. Uh, it went the other way, and the consumer confidence number from the conference board saw the year-ahead inflation expectations bump up to 8% from uh, 7.5%. And so it was the report that conjured up worries about stagflation, uh, and they just came home to roost again. And you just saw buyers go on strike following that report, and it, it kind of upset the apple cart a little bit here as we moved to quarter end when – a lot of participants are thinking that the market is, is primed anyway to see some upside thrust here because of some, you know, rebalancing activity at quarter end. But the way that the market behaved yesterday kind of threw that all into question. And so today you've got this mixed choppy action that reflects more of a wait and see mentality, uh, really to see how the tape is going to trade, uh, following what was definitely a disappointing session yesterday. <laughs> So I find myself, as I talk to market analysts and strategists like yourself, um, I'm trying to frame it for the consumers at home, for our friends and family who are casual investors that don't expect a lot from 2022, but yet we're still seeing sometimes on CNBC and Bloomberg Media, some people are expecting a 20% rally. They expect the S&P 500 to end up for the year. Um that's kind of confusing, right? How, how do you see the professional response to what's happening? Because the consumer confidence report you just talked about is, is we, the consumer, it's the average Joe who's losing confidence. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the average yeah. investor. Yeah. 
Well, a lot of the, you know, talking heads that, that do appear on these business shows are fund managers and investors and professional investors. And, you know, you'd have to say that they have an inherently bullish bias. <laughs> you know, they want, I think, you know, I think we all would rather have a market that goes up rather than down. And it's e- it's easier to sell in a market, you know, a, a, a bullish outlook versus a bearish outlook. Um, okay. Might be somewhat Pollyannish, though, really, to think that we would see somewhat of a strong recovery like that in the second half of the year. And I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying if you look at things the way that we do from a fundamental standpoint, the, the odds seem stacked against it, especially right now when you have um, you've seen the multiple compression, right, but you haven't seen any cut to the earnings estimates. And that's going to be the next shoe to drop. And that will maybe give us some insight as to whether the uh, considerable selling we've seen in the first half of the year has priced in, you know, a a notable markdown in in earnings estimates. We don't think that the market has necessarily just yet. Um, So, you know, when you juxtapose that then with, uh, you know, more than one major central bank out there, saying that they're going to be raising rates aggressively to get inflation under control. It just raises concerns, you know, some real concerns that the growth outlook is going to remain disappointing on the economic side. And if that's going to be the case, it's likely going to remain disappointing on the earnings side. Uh, and uh, and you don't have any any good sense yet that the Fed is, is close to being done raising interest rates. So the pathway to a, 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 a you know, a material rebound effort like the one you're referring to, is still really murky. Um, I think you need to see the market have confidence in the idea that inflation has peaked, that the Fed has gotten it under control, and that earnings estimates have been sufficiently cut to uh, help identify true value, right? That's where we're, we're in a problem right now because the market doesn't know what true value is, right? That the, the multiple on the S&P 500 might look good relative to historical averages, but that's before we've seen any cut to earnings estimates. And uh, and that uncertainty about how far earnings estimates are going to get cut is why you continue to see this inclination to sell rallies because there's just no real strong sense that you're getting true value and could ultimately be falling into a value trap by buying at these prices before those earnings estimates get reduced. One of the things I like about briefing.com is the variable plethora of knowledge that you get into your page one, but is further captured in detail through the site. Um, it was interesting that you talked a little bit of McDonald's trading higher after they get upgraded, Bed Bath & Beyond trading considerably lower after ugly earnings. More data is on the site, but even things like Walt Disney, I guess having faith in the company's CEO, Bob Chapek, extending him an additional three years. A lot of people question that one. I just like the ver- the, the wide variety of news that hits the the briefing.com pages, so to speak. Anything in corporate news like the McDonald's upgrade kind of makes sense to you where you're going like, yeah, we're going to eat nuggets for years and years and years to come. Um, anything vibing in the stories that you're telling today? Right. Well, I suppose that, you know, we definitely are going to be eating chicken nuggets, not in general, and they're not going out of style anytime soon, I think. Nope. But yeah, that, that, that upgrade itself, though, I believe was predicated on the, 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 uh, idea that it's a classic defensive uh, holding in a you know in a tough economic climate. You know McDonald's uh, 
you know, we can all argue about the nutritional aspect of what's on the menu there, but uh, the fact of the matter is that they have a more value-based uh, menu offering for consumers who, uh, you know, might be feeling a pinch and are looking to, you know, spend less on on eating out. Um, and so that, you know, I, I get the, the reason for the upgrade there. Um, and you've actually seen McDonald's, while it's not up for the year, it's actually outperformed the, the broader market. So that, you know, that fits within that narrative there. Um, so um, just a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of mixed corporate news this morning, really. And I think that contributed, has contributed anyway to the, um, to the mixed action we've gotten here in the early going. Um, so just some uh, some brief insight there for you. One of the things you do is you write a big picture outlook on the weekends. And typically it's a longer, more thought out, well-researched piece that I really, really like. Um, it just complements what you do on a daily kind of bullet shot into the market. Uh, what's the big picture right now? Are we looking at the second half of the year? Are we kind of, you know, kind of the way we're talking about it is, it's kind of a wait and see mentality. What are we waiting and seeing on for the second half of the year? Right. Well, we are certainly waiting to see uh, what the trend in inflation is going to be. Uh, we're waiting to see if the Fed gets, uh, you know, closer or actually hits that that terminal rate uh, sooner than expected. Um, and we're waiting to see, you know, as alluded to a little bit ago, just where you know the earnings bogey is gonna is gonna come in, um, you know if if we were to achieve the current earnings estimates, then we're in a great spot right now, right? And you do have some relative value in the market. We just don't think that that's that's achievable though, um, based on you know all the writing on the wall, including what we saw in the confidence surveys, you know what we're seeing in persistently high inflation, namely persistently high gas and food prices. Right. Um, you know, and these issues are not just unique to the United States. They're, they're you know, very apparent in Europe as well. So um, so that's, you know, we're waiting to see if we're actually, you know, hitting a valuation trough. And uh, and we you know, we're not there yet. I mean, the visibility to that is, is not there yet. Um, so, um, you know, and then price action will ultimately confirm, you know, whether we've hit a bottom here. And, you know, yesterday's price action alone suggests that, you know, that we haven't. And so uh, if we get more bad news but positive price action over a sustained period of time, then there'll be more confidence in terms of accumulating stocks at these reduced levels. But if you continue to get bad price action on bad news, then we'll likely continue to, uh, you know, to leak lower um, as the second half of the year unfolds. We've got less than a minute. Is there any last second pitches you want to throw out at us? Well, relative to the big picture, um, you know, something that might be exploring this week is just uh, we saw last week the market seemed to be cheering the fact that commodity prices were coming down. But, you know, I think we have to be careful what we wish for in that respect, right? That will help on the inflation front, but it's also a reflection of weakening growth prospects. And with weakening growth prospects comes weakening earnings prospects. And so that's not necessarily the best thing for uh, for stock prices. So, you know, that's something that uh, I'll probably flesh out here in the in the big picture column this coming Friday. It's going to be interesting watching your big pictures and looking back on them on in years to come because I think they age pretty well. People could find you, Patrick O'Hare, at briefing.com. 
like I've said for 20 plus years, a reliable source of domestic and international news that you can use, especially when it comes to economic fronts and investment ideas. There's a lot going on there from IPOs to daily economic headlines. Find it at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. Find us at robblackshow.com. robblackshow.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.